In today's episode, we discuss the law of attraction, the importance of mindset, how worldview affects your world, overcoming adversity, the benefits of biographies, and many great book recommendations. I just wanted to take a couple of moments to thank you guys so much for the support of the show. The podcast viewership has been growing each episode, and part of it is because of people like you. I ask that if you've enjoyed the show or any of the episodes to hop on and leave us a quick review on your podcast platform of choice. And of course, if you really enjoy the episode, please share it on social media or with a friend. Thanks again for all the support. May wisdom be your guide. Today's show is brought to you by IcePod, finally an affordable, portable, and effective way to get the benefits of cold water immersion in the comfort of your own home. I opted for the Pro Bundle, which includes the ice pod, a water circulating pump, a special insulated lid, and a thermometer to check the temp of your water. Even in Georgia, the ice pod keeps my water between 60 and 70 degrees, and when I load it up with the 36 pack of water bottles that I use and refreeze after each session, I can easily get it around 50 degrees for the perfect cold water immersion experience. Despite being light and portable, the IcePod is super durable and it's the perfect solution for anyone who wants to experience the benefits of cold water immersion without spending thousands of dollars for a home water chiller or trying to DIY your own. Cold immersion can help with recovery and muscle soreness, raise dopamine levels, help you wake up and be more alert, help you to burn more calories, mobilize brown fat, and more. Visit podcompany.com and use my special promo code SHANE. 50107 for $10 off your order, and each sale helps to support the show as well. Stay cool out there, people. Are you looking for the perfect high-protein snack that isn't loaded with stuff like MSG, nitrates, and sugar? Carnivore Snacks is the perfect high-protein snack made from quality grass-fed beef and salt. That's it. Each bag uses one pound of high-quality beef, lamb, pork, or chicken, salt, and nothing else. Aside from being easy, healthy, and convenient, they also taste great. These snacks are not just another jerky. They are way better. Give a bag a try, and I know you'll keep coming back. Check out Carnivore Snacks, spelled with an X, dot com, and enter coupon code SHANE05137 for 15% off your order, and each sale will help support the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast as well. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, where ancient and modern wisdom come together to create a better way of living. I'm your host, Shane Sorensen, and each week we speak with successful people from a plethora of disciplines in search of wisdom from their own lives. Your own personal renaissance begins today. Let wisdom be your guide. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast. I'm here with today's guest, Dr. Joe Vitale. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this moment. Same as well. So um, why why don't you uh, start out just by giving us a little bit of uh, your background, telling us a little bit about you and uh, what you do. All right. You want to start with a big question, huh? The condensed version is I'm primarily an author at this point. It's the year 70 in my life. I've written about 80 some books and they're on everything from metaphysics to marketing, to advertising, publicity, to motivation, self-help, inspiration, just about anything I've been intrigued by. I've written about 
the success of some of those books have led me to other areas. I was in the movie The Secret and uh, 20 some movies since then. I'm now in production with my own movie right now as we speak. I'm also a musician. I have 15 albums out. I'm a newbie at music, but my band, which I call the Band of Legends, uh, they're historically famous. One of them's even in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I think my calling in life is to inspire people to go for and achieve their dreams. I know what it's like to suffer. I was homeless back in the 1970s. I was in poverty for most of the 1980s. And I've transcended all of that. And so I found a way out and I'm doing my best to show people, hey, go this way. That's uh, the Cliff Notes overview. I, I love that. And uh, I, I didn't know all that, actually, but uh, <clears throat> I I really appreciate it, too, because, um, you know, one of one of the things that I talk about, you know, in my book a little bit is the the Renaissance man or the, the polymath. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, truly believe that the people that we see that are excelling are not necessarily just focused on one aspect of life, but it, it sounds like you've been really focused on just living life and enjoying life and doing many <laughs> different things and passions. So, um, and I have I, lots of things. I, I got into strongman training several years ago. That's where you bend horseshoes and mm -hmm. nails and bolts and drive a nail through a piece of wood with your hand and I was obsessed with it. It led to me doing a whole lot of bending of nails and horseshoes and also writing a book called Anything is Possible using the principles that I learned in strongman training but applying them to goal setting in all areas. But it's just an example that I'm primarily a guy who has followed his passion and wherever the passion went. So along the way, there's been interest in a whole lot of different things. And usually because I'm enough of an entrepreneurial author I turn that interest and that passion into some form of a book or product. And that's what I've been doing. Even the music. I didn't start doing music till I was 60, 10 years ago. But I was okay. remembering that was one of my passions. It was on the bucket list. So let's go start up the music. That's what I did then. I, I love that. And what, what, um, I know you said you're working on, uh, a movie of your own right now like what what projects do you have in the works currently that you're working on promoting things like that i i have several products and projects that are going on the movie <clears> is <throat> called zero limits and it's based on one of my early books a book called zero limits was the true story mm -hmm. of a therapist who helped heal an entire ward of mentally ill criminals by working on himself using a strange hawaiian technique that most people never heard of until my book came out called Ho'oponopono. Well, that book, Zero Limits, has taken the world by storm and really inspired a lot of people. And I went on and wrote, I think, three other books along the same lines. And I've always wanted to bring it to the masses. Well, the truth is the masses don't read books. The yeah. masses sit in front of their TV set. They, they go to movies. They watch on their, on their computer screen. Mm -hmm. So to reach the masses, i got to turn it into some sort of film. And I also learned the impact of that when I was in the movie The Secret. The Secret, people still talk about that. It was almost 20 years ago that that movie came out. But it awoke right. a whole lot of people who never read a book, not since they left high school, if they even read one then, to the law of attraction and self-help. So my movie, I want it to be as big as The Secret or bigger. And I want it to be introducing people to a different way of living their life using Ho'oponopono, um, and really exploring the idea of do we have any limits? 
So the movie's called Zero Limits. It's in production right now. I also have an online television show called Zero Limits Living. And I'm very excited about it because I handpick who I want to interview. And I'm interviewing people I want to know more about. And I ask them the questions on my mind. So if nobody else gets anything out of it, I do. And that excites me. So Zero Limits the movie, Zero Limits Living. I have another book that'll be coming out. I got one out right now called Unexpected Kindness. And then another one will come out next year called Zero Limits Living. And that's the continuation of the whole Zero Limits brand about Ho'oponopono, about applying these unusual techniques to your life to break down barriers and mental blocks so you can achieve atorexia, you know, tranquility in the moment. Mm -hmm. All of those things excite me, and there's probably more I'm not thinking of. Let me have another swig of coffee. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's a good problem to have when <laughs> – you can't even keep a running list of all the all the things you're working on, though. I mean, that <clears throat> uh, I, I actually do have a running list because I need to have it there written someplace so I can look sure. and go, oh, yeah, I'm working on that one, too. Yeah, I'm I'm old fashioned in that sense, too. I, I carry a little uh, paper planner around with me everywhere I go. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I plan out kind of the things that I do each month and then I break it down weekly and I have kind of a daily checklist that I run through um, there. There was a book I read many years ago, uh, Getting Things Done by David Al uh, David Allen, yeah. I believe. Or... It's a very, very popular <clears throat> book, and it's really helped people with productivity and getting past uh, procrastination. I actually yeah. never read it because I was too busy doing my projects <laughs> to stop and read a book on how to do sure. your projects. Sure. I didn't see I needed it, but it is a great book, so I hear. Yeah, there, there are a couple tips in there that I picked up that I really liked. There was... Um, one was if it takes less than five minutes, do it now, which I try to live by as opposed to, yeah. you know, writing something down that's a small task that you should just do when it's on your mind. Um, and, you know, the other big takeaway just kind of in general sense was, you know, he was talking about how terrible the human brain is at remembering all of these things at once. And mm -hmm. you have a certain amount of bandwidth. And if it's used up trying to remember everything, it's not really processing and creating new information the way it should. So you know, just, you know, ba very basic idea of just write it down so you can kind of have a system and free your mind to focus on the things, you know, like being pr creative or actually producing something. So think things that are probably intuitive to you. Well, I follow both of those principles because I'm basically yeah. a bottom lines guy. I'm an entrepreneur. I want to get results. I'm very much a metaphysical guy. I'm very much into woo woo. But at the same time, if I can't take it to the bank, if I can't make it work, if I can't create something from it, then it's just mental masturbation. So I sure. learned a long time ago that if it can be done right now, do it. Then it's off the list. You don't even get to put it on the list. It's already done. And right. then the other stuff about writing things down, in many ways, I'm freeing my mind to be more receptive to new ideas and to have the energy and the mental electricity to get things done because I write it down. I'm not carrying it around as baggage in my head, right. trying to remember, oh yeah, what did I have to do later today? What did I want to do tomorrow? No, it's written down. I got, in fact, I just showed you a notebook, but I also have a card that I have for today. And the very first thing is my interview with you. So uh, these are tried and true principles, whether you read that book or not, these are things people can start using right now. Definitely. And you, you touched on the, uh, the law of attraction a bit. And obviously, you know, I know you mentioned the movie, the secret and, um, <clears throat> the, the law of attraction is something that 
definitely interests me. Um, I can't say that I, I believe in it to a, to an extent. Uh, I guess maybe my like my skeptical mind says I I do believe that we have an incredible amount of influence over uh, what what happens to our lives, especially you know how we react internally. I think that someone's mindset can pretty much dictate the outcome of their entire life. Uh, you know, two people that are exposed to a similar traumatic event can take a different mindset to it, and one person yeah. can be crushed under it under the weight of the suffering and the thing they go through. And another person can turn it into one of their greatest blessings in their life as they look back. So, you know, I, I do see that mindset is obviously in incredibly important in forming one's life and the tra trajectory of their life in general. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what, why don't you tell me a little bit about your thoughts on the law of attraction and, you know, for someone like myself that may say, Hey, like, you know, I do think that the way that we think influences our world, but maybe, you know, I don't know, thoughts aren't like physical things that influence the world. Like what, what's your case for the law of attraction and your thoughts on it? Well, first of all, I don't care if people believe in it or not. It's a little bit like arguing about the law of gravity and somebody who can be a diehard, closed-minded skeptic could say there, there's no law of gravity. Things just fall over. If I bump my coffee here, it's got to fall on the ground. It has nothing to do with gravity. It's the sure. idea that I bumped it. So you can do the same thing with the law of attraction and just throw it out the window. You don't even need to know it. But there are principles of how the mind works and how thoughts create reality that go beyond the law of attraction. The law of attraction has become a buzzword, has become trendy. The movie mm -hmm. The Secret introduced it to millions of people. And I always defend the movie saying, look, it was a movie. All it did was introduce you to an idea. It was not the graduate course on how to create your own reality. If I mm -hmm. have any complaint about the movie, it's that Rhonda didn't come out with follow-up movies. She came out with follow-up books, but not any follow-up movies. The follow-up movies could have explained things better. Now, the whole idea of your, your mind is creating your experience, just say that much, the mind is creating your experience, that goes back thousands of years. Mm -hmm. You can find the Stoics referring to your thoughts and how you are interpreting your reality in a way that's empowering you or turning you into a victim. So that's just that part. Current research is looking at the idea that your thoughts are influencing reality. How much they influence I don't know that we know yet, but we are looking at the idea that what you're thinking about is causing energetic ripples in the universe. And those energetic ripples are being measured by scientists. And they are saying you are touching what you're calling outer reality. How deeply you influence it, it may be beyond comprehension. We may be super beings and don't even know it at this point because we're still babies awakening to the idea of our inner power. And believe me, I've wrestled with some of this because mm -hmm. when I was going through homelessness, that's when I first learned about the law of attraction. It was out in the early 1900s in books. Those books I now own, but those books were in the library when I was reading them when I was homeless and living in the library. I didn't understand how it worked. And in fact, in many ways, it added to my aggravation because I'd be reading something like Thinking Grow Rich. And he refers to the law of attraction mm -hmm. in Thinking Grow yeah. Rich. And, the, and I would read the book, Broke and Homeless. And at the end of the book, I'm broke and homeless. And I'm thinking, it said Thinking Grow Rich. <laughs> How come I read the book and I'm thinking and I'm not rich? Mm -hmm. So there's so much more to understanding this 
than just thinking, oh, sit here and think positive thoughts and you'll have positive experiences. No, that's like the beginner's baby understanding of how the mind works. You have to have thought, you have to have emotion. And here's the big one that was not really amplified in the movie, The Secret, even though I'm the one pointing it out in The Secret, action. Right. Yes, have your thoughts. Yes, have your emotion. Yes, go and visualize everything that you would like to have, do, and be. But if you don't get off your butt and do something, you're not going to get what you want. Life is a co-creation. You are part of this journey through life. And using the law of attraction may influence the outer world, but you also have to do your part to create physical things happening in the outer world. Now, after that mouthful of an explanation, let me give you the closer. Mm-hmm. My favorite story about the law of attraction is a guy in Thailand who had flown me over there to give a speaking engagement at this first ever event. I didn't know him. I didn't know what was going on, but he was paying me a hell of a lot of money and flying me first class. So I kept saying yes and got on a plane and made the hellish journey over to Thailand. And he meets me and he's 35 years old. And at the airport, he starts telling me the story. 15 years earlier, when he was 20, he was homeless. He was broke. He was sleeping on the beaches of Thailand, but no money, no car, no job, no nothing. And he called a friend of his from uh, from another time. And the friend said, I'm not going to send you any money, which I found appalling. And the friend said, but I'll send you a book. And he sent him a copy of the book, The Secret. So my homeless friend, 20 years old on the beach, is angry. He's starving. He doesn't want a book. He wants fed. He wants money. But he says, well, there must be something to this book. Let me start reading it. And he starts reading The Secret. And like so many people, he was skeptical. And he said, this is BS. Then he said what I thought was so beautiful. He said, I'm going to prove this doesn't work. I'm going to prove this doesn't work. So he starts to apply the elements of the law of attraction in the secret. Like, what do you want? Well, he wanted a cup of coffee. Can I visualize a cup of coffee? Yeah. Are you open to receiving a cup of coffee? Yeah. So he goes about his business, and obviously somebody buys him a cup of coffee. Well, he thinks that's a fluke. Anybody could buy you a cup of coffee. He's just wandering around homeless. Why not give him coffee? So he says, let me try it on lunch. Yeah, somebody gives him lunch. Now he starts to think, well, let me try it on something bigger. And long story short. When I met him in Thailand at the airport, 35 years old, he's a billionaire, a billionaire, not a millionaire, not a multimillionaire, a billionaire running. Not not many of those out on the out in there. Yeah, (laughs) right. One of the largest real estate developers in uh, in southern Thailand. He also had 20 other businesses. And he said he owed it all to the law of attraction. And he went on to say he owed it to me. And I said, well, you may have read my books, but you applied it. And that's what everybody needs to do. So my Mm -hmm. argument is that don't believe in the law of attraction if you think it's woo-woo. Don't believe in the law of gravity if you think there's no proof for it. But you got to be aware that what you're doing may knock over the coffee. And whether you call that the law of attraction or something else, you did it. You are doing things, including thinking and feeling and acting, that is creating your reality. How deeply that goes into the outer world, even I don't know yet. But I got a sneaking suspicion we have more power than we ever imagined. I, I love that answer. And I, <clears throat> I, I'm i with you 100% on that. There's, 
a, a couple things that come to mind there. Uh, you know, one is I, I think about uh, Alistair Crowley, who, you know, a lot of people may have some, you know, really bad ideas about and all that. But, you know, when you right. ask him, essentially his definition of magic was, you know, the ability to exert one's will on the universe and make something happen. So oh, if, I, chills. I don't remember ever hearing that quote. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, that that's his definition of magic, right? So if, if you have a will to knock over a coffee, you know, whether you knock it over, whether it falls over, whether you set up a contraption that knocks it over, whatever you do to knock that coffee over, you know, you had an idea in your mind and it became a physical manifestation that happened in the universe. And that that was his definition of magic. So um, well, let me <clears> add to that. You know, the, the movie, The Secret, Rhonda Byrne always said that she was influenced by the Wallace Waddles book, The, um, the Science of Getting Rich, that came out around 1910. And it's a book that's well worth reading even today because it's very simple, it's precise, and it's very clear. And the thing everybody misses is right in that 1910 book <clears throat> because he said everything you want comes through natural means. This is an important statement. It comes mm -hmm. through natural means. Most of the people who watch The Secret are expecting magic. And that's where the critics say you're into magical thinking. Well, I do believe in magic. I do believe in miracles. But you are co-creating it. And when the mm -hmm. things that you want show up, they come through the natural means of the universe. It's not a Harry Potter universe where you're waving your wand and then something pops into a being. It's like whatever it is that you're going for is going to show up, but you're going to co-create it. And when it shows up, it'll be through the natural movement of the planet. It's not going to be some sort of startling, spooky cloud of smoke, you know, like a magician's trick. And then you yeah. look and there's the car you were wanting. It's right there in front of you. Or there's the soulmate you were wondering, wanting. And the other thing I wanted to say is I saw a clip of Tom Cruise giving a talk. And the clip that stood out was he said, whatever it is that you want, you will it into being. Mm -hmm. You will it into being. These are empowering statements from empowered people. Definitely. And <clears throat> I think that, you know, that the faith, which I talk about in the book, too, um, faith is incredibly important because if, if you don't have a faith in you know, at the very least in your own ability to exert change or in your own ability to, you know, make something into a reality, then a lot of times your actions are almost wasted, even if you do get up and get out of bed. I mean, if you if you don't believe at the end of the day, you can do something and there's no chance uh, that that follows you in every single thing that you do. And it it it's like a little uh robbing of your energy or, or of your potential that as you mentioned right. you know people have a lot more potential than what they believe and that that's right. a huge part of it alone well a lot of people dismiss the power of thought by saying it's all about behavior it's what you do that matters and it is what you do that matters but what they are missing is that you don't do anything unless you have the thought before it mm -hmm. so thought comes first and if you don't have the belief, the thought, the faith, whatever you want to describe this experience, then you're probably not going to take any action to begin with. And if you do take any action and you still believe it's not going to work, it's probably going to be an impotent uh, movement. And it's probably going to be subconsciously sabotaged because you don't believe in it in the first place. I did write a book, it should be no surprise to you, called Faith. 
And the book faith says there's three kinds of faith. The first faith is faith in yourself. It's in your ability to get something done. It's your ability to take action, to choose your direction, to make movement, to be in charge of your body and mind and where you're going. That's faith in yourself. The second faith is faith in other people. And one of the things that I became really aware of over the last few decades is that everything you want comes through other people. It comes through other people. And so having relationships is important, but having faith in those people, being able to do what they say they're going to do and to take action that joins in the dance of what you're doing is very important faith. The third faith is the faith in what I have ended up calling the great something. Other people will call it God, the universe, the divine, the cosmos, the system, the Gaia. You can even call it nature. I think the ancient Stoics and the Renaissance folks would have said it's nature. Mm -hmm. And that's another word for God, in my opinion. But because all of those words seem to be loaded with emotional content, I just said it's the great something. And I wrote a song called that, and it's on one of my album of the same name, The Great Something. So you have the third faith is in this higher power, if you will, that is more or less watching your back. It can help guide you. It can help manifest what you want, help, not do it for you, but it can help in all these areas. So just kind of riffing off what you said, faith is phenomenally important, but understanding these three kinds of faith mm -hmm. is what gives you even more power and even more faith. I want to ask you to a little bit of a side, but kind of on top topic here. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure you're familiar with like the, the double slit experiment. Um, it's, it, it's like this, uh, it's in quantum physics, uh, and I'm going to give a really, really terrible overview of it just because my understanding <laughs> of quantum hard. physics is very limited. Um, but you know, essentially they did an experiment and they were looking at how, uh, a wave would react. Um, and so they, they set up a series of slits, um, in this, uh, plate in like a metal plate and they sent a wave through it and they found that. Sometimes there was a pattern that would show that it was basically acting as a particle, so as as a object with mass, and sometimes it would react as a particle, um, or not as a particle, but as a wave, which is energy. And when they actually set up observation units to try to look at the experiment to see what was happening and why there was this weird thing happening, it started changing, and it just acted one way from then on out. Um, and so I think there's a lot of ideas like, again, and I'm, you know, I'm given a really, really like basic, uh, explanation of this stuff, but you know, it, there seems to be this, this thing in quantum physics where it's like the act of observation can change results. And also, yeah. um, this idea of like, kind of the, the quantum, like uncertainty principle that like, you can never know exactly what state is something in. And, you know, when you look into the quantum world, it, things get really, really weird. All these laws of nature and physics kind of start to bend and get really strange. Um, yeah. That, that's what I think about when I think about more of like, I guess what you would call the woo woo side of the law of attraction too, is it, it seems that even in science, there is this idea that, you know, thoughts and observation and consciousness do seem to have some kind of effect on the physical universe, even if it's at a very small quantum level. 
Yeah, that's brilliantly actually explained there. I, I'm not a scientist in those terms. You want to interview Dr. Joe, uh, Joe Dispenza, for example, or Bruce mm -hmm. Lipton, or those guys that are actually doing this for a living, and they can quote all the different scientific studies. I'm not a big fan of science, and I'll tell you why. Science continually changes its mind. They do these very small controlled studies, and then they extrapolate and say, well, we did this study with 30 people, so this now affects 8 billion people. You know, there's 8 billion people last I heard on the planet. And when they do a study for 30 people, it is very difficult for me to imagine that every person on the planet has been influenced by that, that we have now come to a conclusion that this is how all people are in all cultures everywhere on the planet. No, I don't buy it. Then they do other studies where somebody's trying to prove that study correct, and they want to replicate it, and they can't. And so the first study that said this is how all people are, which, of course, is not true, has not been proven by the second study, which is saying, well, we did the same kind of thing, but we had 30 different people in there, and we came with a different conclusion. What I look at with science, because in one level I hate it, on another level I'm magnetized by it and mesmerized mm -hmm. by it, and that is the idea of their finding and they use the term findings. They're finding snippets of possibilities in snapshots of time. They don't see the whole picture. And they're not going to see the whole picture unless a whole lot of time goes by. Maybe if they're doing the experiments over 10 or 20 years and there's been thousands of experiences, experiments with different people, we can now come to the conclusion that it seems that this is the way reality works. I think it was mm -hmm. El Albert Einstein who said it's something to the effect of reality is a persistent illusion. Reality is a persistent illusion. It's um, probably paraphrasing it. What this all means to me, again, I'm not a scientist, so what I just said might have sounded like a bumbling idiot talking. But what it seems to mean to me is that we live in a world of unlimited possibilities. Go back to my book and my show and the movie, Zero Limits. I came out with a course a while back. It was about the fourth dimension process. And the fourth dimension process was coming from the pseudo-scientific explanation that, yes, this is 3D reality that we're all in. And I can knock on my desk and I can hit my mic and, you know, we're using all this 3D stuff that we can touch and agree on. But what's composing it is an energy field that's in the fourth dimension. And there have been scientists over the probably the last hundred years who have written books on the fourth dimension, talked about the fourth dimension. And I created this program about the fourth dimension process where you can go into the fourth dimension mentally. And in there, you can mold, create, sculpt the life you want. And then you come back to the third dimension and you start to build it based on your new insights, your intuitions, and whatever the great something does to move you in that direction. So for me, when I hear about these experiments, the observer effect, yes, I'm observing. And as I observe, I'm changing what I see. But if we go back even further, what's causing me to observe it in a particular way? It's my mindset. I've been saying for quite a while that we live in a world that's actually an optical illusion. It's an optical illusion. You get what you see, and what you see is based on your perceptions. Your perceptions are based on your beliefs. Mm -hmm. I was on stage in Ireland just a few months ago, 
And I told them all of this. And I said, how many of you believe that there's struggle in the world and there's scarcity in the world and limitation and all of that? And of course, virtually everybody is believing that. And if they pursue that choice, they can go online, they can go to the library, they'll find studies, experts, authorities, all agreeing, all proving this is a scarcity world. They will prove it. Then the other side, what about those who believe in abundance? We live in an opulent universe. We have all kind of choices and opportunities here. A lot of people believe in that. If you go online, you can find the books, you can find the authors, mm -hmm. you can find the authorities to prove, prove. They will prove we live in an abundant universe. All right, let's stand back. We got two powerful sources of information. One saying, yep, it's all going to hell in the handbasket. It's all lack and limitation. Then we got the other one saying, we're building heaven on earth here. Look at all the gold. Which one's right? Have you got proof for both of them? Which one's right? They're both right. It depends on how you're observing it. And it depends mm -hmm. on your beliefs causing you to see it in a certain way. And the punchline is that beliefs can be changed. I, I love that. Yeah, I, I definitely, I live by a, try to live by a similar mindset, right? I, I do believe that our reality is, it's really what we make of it. It's, uh, and I, <clears throat> something that I, I really like about philosophy is I think that it starts to bring awareness to the fact that there, there is uncertainty, there, there is, uh, there is an, I guess an element of just kind of like uncertainty to everything. And it's your concept of the world is kind of what shapes your experience of the world. It shapes, yeah. um, you know, everything like your, your paradigm that's formed by the philosophies that you make up. And something that I try to encourage people is to be proactive in shaping your own philosophy, as opposed to just inheriting a philosophy, you know, right. which right. that's how, you know, most of us do. And even those that put effort into shaping their reality, there's still beliefs that we kind of inherit or we take for granted. Um, but I've always felt that, you know, if, if you have to have a worldview because it's not optional, it would make much more sense to try to form a worldview that would be empowering and helpful uh, as opposed to one that would limit you or hinder you or, yeah. you know, cause you pain or suffering that was un unnecessary. So mm. um, I think, I think you just put that together in a very, very eloquent way. So I really, I like that Good. response a lot. <laughs> Great. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the, uh, the books. So obviously, um, you know, I, I don't know how many books you've written. There's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of them out there. Um, as you know, happens with most people, some of them were, you know, very, very wildly successful. Some of them were less successful. You know, it's, it's all part of the process. Some things catch on some, some don't, uh, but you know, as an author, you know, you've definitely been very prolific. Um, some of your bigger books, you know, the attractor factor, the miracle, and of course, you know, zero limits look, look to me like it's gotta be one of your biggest, uh, you know, your biggest books. Um, do, do any of your books in specific, like really stand out to you that really, really impacted your life or, you know, do, I'm assuming just the way that you kind of said that you, you always follow these passions, they've all had some impact, but 
Is there any like books specifically, you know, one or two that really stand out to you that, um, you know, have, have been super impactful for you? Well, that's a great question. I'm told I've written over 80 books. I, I don't okay. know that as a fact because I've never counted them. I'm too busy writing yeah. them. Other people count them. So I'm told there's over 80 books. And you're correct. Some are going to stand out. Some are going to fall by the wayside, even for me mentally and trying to remember them all. But a few that come to mind. I am very proud and very excited of a book I wrote about P.T. Barnum, the circus um, legend. And the book was called There's a Customer Born Every Minute. There's a Customer Born Every Minute. And I was obsessed and passionate about researching Barnum and all the Barnum-like characters that have been in business throughout history and finding out what they did. And I said there were 10 unique things that Barnum did that all the great titans and tycoons of business did. And anybody can do them today. The only difference is you have technology to help you do it today. And Barnum didn't mm -hmm. have it though he was very interested in the new technology coming out of his time period in the 1800s. So there's a customer born every minute. I think it's a riveting book, full of stories, full of color, and a lot of business people from Dan Kennedy to Mark Joyner to Russell Brunson, they love that book. They absolutely love it, endorse it, get on stages and talk about it. Russell Brunson bought, I think, 600 copies of that book and gave it to the highest people in his mastermind years ago, something like that. So that's, there's a customer born every minute. Zero limits, I talked about earlier, zero limits is riveting to me because I felt like I was a stenographer and I kind of received the book and wrote the story in two mm. weeks. It, it came easily and it's touched a lot of people. It's a very powerful book. The Attractor Factor you mentioned was a book I never intended to bring to the masses. I wrote it for my sister because she was struggling. She was on welfare. And at the time, I was breaking through and breaking out of that struggle and limitation. So I more or less wrote it for her. But long story short, it did get published. It did do well. And that was the book that got me invited to be into the movie The Secret. So the attractor factor led to me being into The Secret. And then there's all kind of books after that. Uh, I mentioned the strongman training. And I wrote a book as a result of what I learned. And I said there were seven principles to achieving goals, whether it was a bend a horseshoe or to write your next book or open a bakery. And so I wrote a book called Anything is Possible. And um, I'm proud of that. Uh, I'm probably forgetting all kinds of things except my recent book, brand new, the one that just came out is Unexpected Kindness. And I wrote this for two reasons. One, Bob Proctor had died. Bob Proctor was the grandfatherly authority figure in the movie The Secret. He influenced a lot of people, including me. And when he died, I was deeply impacted by that. And I just wrote a story about how he helped me. But then the next day, I remembered somebody else who had helped me when I was broke and unknown and on my way up. And I wrote a story. Mm -hmm. And before you knew it, I had 30 stories there. And I thought, well, there's a book. And so I wrote this book for two reasons. The first, to give acknowledgement and thank you and gratitude to people like Bob Proctor, the people who helped me when I was really not showing any evidence of any success in the future. They helped me anyway. And the second reason is I'm hoping the book, Unexpected Kindness, inspires people to perform unexpected kindness for mm -hmm. everyone around them. And unexpected kindness, I actually think, can solve the problems of the universe. 
because we yeah. are going through division and, and conflict and arguments over everything. But we all know what kindness is. And if somebody's just kind, just smile, open the door, help somebody in need of help, do what you can without any expectation of re return, you have no idea how that impact will go on through centuries. My, and when I say centuries, Marcus Aurelius, you know, the poster boy for Stoicism, he said mm -hmm. or wrote, kindness is invincible. Kindness is invincible. And my t-shirt says kindness is cool. I think Marcus is a cooler statement. But anyway, those are some books that come to mind. Out of I, <clears throat> I, I definitely, uh, I, I really like the, the idea of the, you know, just the, the small acts of kindness, or obviously some can be bigger too. Um, I'll definitely pick up a copy of that one. It, you know, I, I look back at the trajectory of my life and, um, you know, <clears throat> I don't, I don't like to like play like the world's highest smallest violin for myself because I know that many people in the world have had much tougher upbringings, but you know, like I, I have very humble beginnings. I, you know, didn't, didn't come from, you know, success by any means. You know, I remember a um, couple of times growing up where, you know, we were on food stamps and getting evicted from one apartment and going to the next. And I remember, you know, a lot of, a lot of stress growing up, even as a child, because I kind of heard like, my parents arguing about money or, you know, trying to figure out, okay, like, are we going to pay the gas bill or the electric bill this week? You know, which, which one are we going to get shut off this week? Because that, that's just what we had to do. Um, and I, you know, that formed an idea in me that I never wanted to live paycheck to paycheck. So I was always very careful that even if I wasn't making much money, I would always have a little bit of a, a safety cushion and I would live, you know, within my means. And that just meant, you know, never running up a credit card bill and never allowing myself to kind of get behind on my finances. Um, now, as I've kind of come forward in life, you know, I, I try to, I take a lot of credit for where I've gotten, but there have also been a couple of steps in there where somebody helped me and it made a big difference in my life where I never would have, you know, I never would have done what I did if I hadn't had that kind of unexpected act of kindness. You know, I had a, an aunt who allowed me to stay with her, you know, rent free while I went to nursing school. Um, I was a nurse many years back and being able to stay with her rent free close to my school and go there for 18 months was, you know, huge because that allowed me to get my nursing uh, degree. And that allowed me to move down to Atlanta, Georgia and do jujitsu full time and pursue my passions of, you know, doing Brazilian jujitsu and that, that led me to who I am today. Like the, the things that I learned in trying to pursue Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the mindset that I was able to cultivate through just athletics and, you know, everything like my, my whole trajectory of my life would, would be different if she hadn't said, you know what, like, we're going to open up this bedroom to you, you know, even though you're 19 and we're retired and we're kind of like, we like our peace and our space, we're going to allow you to come into our home and, uh -huh. Right. Just, just that, I mean, it, it made a, a huge, huge difference. And I, um, I really like that idea, right? Because I think we, we tend to sometimes overemphasize our successes on the things that we've done. And we forget the little things that someone maybe did for us along the way to help us. That is a beautiful story. And I, I, I send love to your aunt for helping you when you needed the help. One of the things people tell me when they read the book, Unexpected Kindness, is that they start remembering, like you just explained, 
people who helped them. And they may have been people that they have long forgotten, and the kindness is long forgotten. But because mm -hmm. they were reading the book and reading my stories, they start to go, oh, yeah, there was somebody. There was my aunt. There was my uncle. There was a cousin. There was a stranger who did something nice. This is happening all the time in the world. And one of the things I would like to see is an awakening to it because these acts of kindness are acts of love. And instead of all of us focusing on the misery in the world and the potential problems in the world, if we can pause long enough to at least spend equal time on the kindness and love going on in the world, we can elevate the planet and we'll make better decisions and we'll probably help even more people because that'll cause a ripple effect. We'll be feeling the love, we'll be feeling the kindness, and we'll be more inspired to do it for others. So great Definitely. Story. Thank you. And that um, <clears throat> that kind of brings me to the the next thing I wanted to touch on a little bit too. Um, you know, obviously, to to be successful, to to do all the things that you've done in your life, to you know, just just to utilize life to the to the utmost. One of the things that's really important is just mindfulness, right? Just being aware, like like you had mentioned, right? There there are so many little acts of kindness that we go through that maybe we've forgotten or we don't even realize as they're happening because we're just, we're not aware of them. We're not mindful. Um, what, like, do you have any tips specifically for, you know, cultivating mindfulness or, you know, just helping us to kind of better appreciate and see the good in life? Well, that's a multiple part question in a way. Sure. Uh, let me address what's coming to mind. So first of all, with the mindfulness, it's important to realize that the only moment we have is right now. It's real mm -hmm. easy to let our minds wander to the past, but when we do, we're doing it right now. It's real easy to let our minds speculate about the future, but when we do, we do it right now. So when we remember it's all right now, it helps pull us back into the moment, into present reality with more of a sense of awareness, more of mindfulness. So I think that's one of the first things to keep in mind. The second thing is, and I, I learned this decades ago, because my mind would start going into worry and doubt and frustrations and all kind of darkness. And that's because I was forgetting this moment. I was letting my mind just kind of, it was doing it in the moment, but it was drifting into the dark side. And I realized mm -hmm. that if I just touch something physical, like I'm touching my desk right now, it brings me into the moment. There were times when I was driving when I lived in Houston, Texas, and the, tri the uh, traffic was horrendous, and my mind was getting upset, and I'm getting, you know, not road rage, but road, up, road upset, <laughs> yeah. and I would touch the dashboard. I would touch, the, I was caressing the dashboard, and it was bringing me back to, okay, you're in this moment. This moment is all okay. You're fine. Maybe stuck in traffic, but it's going to move, you know, eventually. Life goes on. And the, the next thing that I would do, and any of us can do this, and I still do this today, is watching my breathing. Because my breathing brings me into my body. My body is in present reality. My body isn't anywhere else. So when I'm breathing, I'm aware it's going into my nose here. I can feel it go into my lungs. It's got to turn around on its own, very naturally, and then come back out and go. And there's a flow. There's a circulation. It makes me more mindful to be in this moment. And then the other part of your question was about looking for the good or finding the good. One of the books that deeply influenced me came out in 1913. And when I say it, everybody will know what I'm talking about because they either read it or they saw the movie. And that's Pollyanna. Pollyanna, the 1913 book. God, I wish everybody would go read it 
First of all, it's a riveting read. It is written as if it's a movie. There's action, there's dialogue, there's movement. Oh, it's riveting. And then there's this self-help concept, which is the greatest of all time, where Pollyanna says you can always look for the good. And people have dismissed her and their misunderstanding of the concept because they assume she was dismissing reality. She was just kind of Pollyanna-ish, as they say, seeing good everywhere. That's not what she was doing. She was seeing current reality, including the struggles, including the pain, including the disappointment, and looking for the good there anyway. So mm -hmm. look for the good. I One of the only pieces of art I ever bought in my life, it was above a table at a restaurant, and it was really just a phrase, and it said, train your mind to look for the good in every situation. And I loved it because mm. the phrase, train your mind, it tells you you have a choice. It's like your mind is like a little puppy. Train your puppy not to pee in the corner. You mm. know, train your puppy to go outside. Train your mind to see the good in every situation. That is an art and a skill and a choice for all of us. So I love Pollyanna. I love the book. I loved all the movies that came out. And I want people to understand it's probably the greatest self-help technique for teaching yourself you can find good in situations and in people if you just pause long enough to look. I, I love I love that. And I've I've never read uh Pollyanna, so that's that's going on my list too. Uh cool. I'm 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 building up a good list today, which which I enjoy. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I'm always really excited when I can kind of get a book recommendation from someone or someone tells me about a book. It's like, I read that book with a whole another level of enthusiasm versus, you know, yeah. when I'm just kind of like shopping around and pick something out. But, um, yeah, that, that idea of, uh, looking for the good. Um, and I, I was talking earlier about kind of shaping your, your worldview and your philosophy, uh, something that I went through when I was in my late teens, like when I was kind of in my mid teens, uh, early teens, I was, I was pretty, uh, angsty. Like I, I wrote a lot of poetry. I was really sad all the time. I, um, as Eckhart Tolle may say, I, I kind of had this like pain body that I identified with, right. I was just, I, I really, really felt that my suffering defined me. And a lot of my suffering was just on it. I mean, it was so trivial. It was so like, you know, I'm in, I'm in the first world. I, you know, I got, you know, I got parents, I got a, a place to sleep. I got food to eat. Um, I had love from my parents. Like, you know, my, the things that I was obsessing over, you know, just like, you know, girls breaking my heart or the fact that I didn't have as much money as I wanted or didn't have the upbringing that I thought I wanted or things like that, you know, that they're just so silly to obsess on. And I remember the moment where it hit me. I was listening to a new band. Like I've always been really into music. Uh, my my dad's a musician, so I grew up around music a lot. And um, I was listening to a band, Band of Horses, and I just was noticing how like happy they were. And it was so different than the music that I was used to listening to, which was very angsty and depressed and angry. And uh, I just kind of had this like idea that, you know, maybe... I could just choose to be happy. And I started focusing on just my mental state and my, you know, the way that I viewed the world. And when I would see something and I would see something ugly or I would see something painful or hurtful, I would just try to pay attention to my thoughts and think about 
viewing it from a positive light. And it took a while, but I, I did, you know, over a course of a couple of years, kind of retrain the way that I saw things and that that completely changed the human being that that I am and that I that I was. I think just just that small idea of like focusing on the positive and choosing to see the positive, even with suffering, even with pain, even if someone is hurting, saying, how can I view the positive? What good could come out of this? Um, mm -hmm. hu huge idea, huge idea. It is a huge idea. And I don't know how much time we have, but if we took a moment, I would want to explore where did that idea come from? Yes, I know you listened to a band and you noticed the band was happy. Then you concluded that, well, maybe I can be happy too. And that was going to become a new choice and then a new discipline for you. But what caused you to see it right then and there? That band had been around. There had been other sources. There had been other people. There had been other books, other moments where you could have had the same conclusion because you saw somebody happy and said, hey, why are they happy? Why that particular moment? I don't, I don't know. I guess, uh, I, I was feeling very reflective at that, at that point in my life. I guess I was kind of looking, it, it was at a weird place because we had a small, like three week break. I was in an accelerated nursing program and I've always had kind of felt like I was just like going, like I had to work, I had to go to school. I had, you know, jujitsu, I had all these different things that I was doing and I had this like three week lull where I really had like a vacation, but I'm, I'm not an extroverted person. So when I have free time, I, I tend to kind of go within and I read more and I, th there was just a pause, you know, I, I felt that I had a three week pause in life and I was just kind of looking at my situation and looking within. And I think I just, I saw, I think I saw the reality of kind of like the way I was choosing to live my life and I wanted to do something different. I love that. I love that. And thanks for playing along to answer that question. My suspicion, and this is just something for you to consider and anybody watching or listening, is I said there were three kinds of faith. And I was referring to the third one being from the great something, which some people would call the divine or nature or God. My hunch is that the great something is guiding us all the time. It's guiding us all along. Now, we have free will, so we can dismiss the guidance. You have free will. So when you saw the band of horses or whatever it was called, and mm -hmm. you see they're happy and everything, and you say, well, I could be happy too. I believe that was a seed planted by the divine. But you could have dismissed it. You could have just said, hell with that. Those guys repulse me. They're too happy. You know, I want to go and be the melancholy poet and go yeah. and listen to some you know, some other music that is not so you know, so elevating. Sure. So uh, it's just a thought. It's just something that, you know, in many ways, I think, because I reflect over my life and I'm going, how did this, how did I get here? Yeah, I wanted to be an author, but I didn't know that I'd be a musician. I didn't know I'd be in movies. I didn't know I'd do strongman training. I didn't know I'd go all over the world to countries I didn't even know existed when I was growing up. I didn't know I'd be a featured speaker. I didn't know that I had my own movie. I didn't, I didn't know I'd write 80 books. A whole lot of things happen because I said yes to the opportunities, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder that a greater hand has been in play, kind of moving me around like I'm a chess piece, but I could have said no, that's free will, but I learned to say yes, which I think is the secret of the universe, say yes. I, I, I agree with that. Um, it, it's very hard to deny 
looking back on my life, you know, obviously there were like, we talked about the, the small acts of kindness, right? Like things that happen with, yeah. you know, my aunt giving me a place to stay, but there, are, there's are so many other things that were just not in anybody's control that happened that really helped me. And they were completely random. And, uh, you know, of course, like I, I used the opportunities that were there and I, I took advantage of kind of the things that came up, but, uh, you know, right, right before I got into nursing school, um, which, you know, the nursing program I did was like full time. It was basically 32 hours a week of school or clinicals. And then there was so much studying and homework I had to do. I mean, I probably spent 45 or 50 hours a week. They, we started the program with, I think 44 people and I think 12 graduated. Um, so it, I mean, it was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly intense. And there's no way that I would have been able to work and, uh, go to school even with no rent. I just, I wouldn't have been able to pay for my groceries or pay for my car insurance. And something that happened was I was working in a, a factory, hating my job and, um, was trying to get into nursing school. And I was supposed to start in August and, um, it was December. And this was in 2007, and I worked in a company that made building materials that a lot of were used for houses. And uh, basically, we made stones that were for like decorative stuff. And, uh, you know, obviously, 2007, a lot of people know, remember what happened to construction during that time. It completely shut down. And it was uh, early December. And normally, we took a week off uh, around the holidays. They shut the factory down. And they had a really somber meeting and they came to everybody and they said, listen, like orders have completely stopped. We think it's just the holiday season, um, but we're basically going to take the month off, uh, which, you know, at the time is really scary because you have, you have no income. Um, and so that, you know, basically, you know, they said, look, go, go file for unemployment. You know, you can, you can draw it for three or four weeks and hopefully we'll come back in January. Later that month, I got a phone call from the nursing program. They said, we had someone drop out from the August program. We'd like you to start in January. Can you start? Um, and I just said, yes. So I you know, made right. sure that I did what I had to do. Uh, I think it was January 3rd rolled around and we went back to work and everybody showed up ready to work. And they, they said, uh, things are a lot worse than we thought. There's a lot of things that have happened in the last month and, uh, you know, kind of indefinitely, everyone's going to, going to be out of work. Um, so, and there were a lot of changes that happened to unemployment during that time because of, uh, some of the things that were going on with the economy. There was like, uh, extra money that was paid out. They had extensions. You had a waiver where you didn't have to look for work if you like went to school. So I was actually, and normally you can only draw unemployment for 12 months. And I was able to draw it for 18 months because they added a six month extension. So my program was 18 months. So I was able to draw, you know, unemployment for the exact amount of time to get me through my program that just happened to be bumped up. You look at all these things that lined up and this is just one little small thing that happened in my life. But again, it like was huge, right? It allowed me to get a degree. It, it allowed me to access things that I, I never would have accessed otherwise. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful story and a beautiful example of what I'm referring to. There are things that line up that you don't have too much to do with except to accept them and say yes and walk through the door and take the opportunities. And uh, and yet you end up at places that you didn't even imagine before. 
wonderful places. Yeah. All because you said yes. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely enjoying enjoying the talk with you today for sure. Um, what one more thing I wanted to ask you before we hop into you know kind of the questions I ask uh, all the guests. So I, I know I've, you've been posting. I've seen a lot of your posts. You've mentioned like biographies, um, mm. and <clears throat> sounds like a couple of the books that you've written were basically you know biographies as well, like a a, a snapshot of someone's life or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. This is an idea that was really important in the Renaissance. Also, um, a lot of the energy of the Renaissance came from a bunch of essentially scholars or curious people, curious individuals finding books from, you know, men like Cicero and Seneca and Quintilian and some of these like great rhetoricians and philosophers, and they dissected them, they read them and people read very different in the Renaissance. There weren't a lot of books. So when someone got a book, it wasn't like they just, you know, read it and threw it into the, you know, (laughs) threw it into the pile with all the other books. Like they would read it, they would underline it, they would reread it, they would reread it, they would reread it. They might read a book a hundred times throughout their life because there just weren't a lot of books going around. And that caused a a huge energy that really, you know, maybe was the spark that kind of lit the fire of the Renaissance. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for you personally, um, why do you think that biographies are so powerful? Such a great question. Well, first of all, I love reading. I mean, for those who are seeing the visual here, my background are real books. It's not a green screen there. They're very rare books in many cases and sign books in many cases and ancient books in many cases. So I love books and I have since I was a kid, even when I was homeless, I was in the public library reading books. So books are my life. I love biographies for a lot of reasons. One is, and this might be the primary reason to read a biography, learn from their mistakes Mm -hmm. we save our own blood sweat and tears if we read a story about somebody who said this is what i tried and it didn't work and here's what happened to me you don't have to go through that experience if you get the lesson that they got so reading biographies helps you as a kind of life hack it creates a shortcut to save you pain and to help direct you in terms of pleasure to where you want to go, all by learning what other people did. I also love reading biographies because they're so freaking inspiring. When I read about the things people had to go through, and some of them horrendous, some of them unimaginable, and yet they survived, prospered, went on to create a business or an empire, I'm going, well, if they could do it, then me not going through what they're going through, I got a chance too. I got a shot at this. Mm-hmm. And then biographies bring people to life. I'm a big Mark Twain fan. And at this point, I have things Mark Twain owned, uh, things Mark Twain signed, uh, a caricature Mark Twain drew. So not only do I have the books and the biographies, but I've got these elements that bring him to life. And so now it's not a fictional or imaginary character. It's like Mark Twain is real. He lived. And in fact, he still lives when you open this book or when you touch something that he had touched himself. Same thing with P.T. Barnum. I read P.T. Barnum's autobiography, and of course, I read biographies of him. And that man was so charming, so inventive, such a marketing genius. I was in awe, in awe. And I had to go and write, of course, the book I mentioned. There's a customer born every minute. One more that I want to talk about, and I don't think I've ever talked about this, 
I was deeply influenced by Michael D. Montaigne. And he was the father of the essay. And I remember reading these essays by Michael D. Montaigne. It was from, I think, the 1500s in France. And he went through mm -hmm. the, it wasn't a pandemic. It was, uh, I forget what it was. But it was a horrible Black Plague. He went through the Black Plague. And when I read his book, he's alive again. Centuries later, the man is alive because of his book. And I'm reading his insights. I'm reading his stories. I'm reading his humor. And I actually even created a play when I was in college around 1972. I wrote a play based on Michael D. Montaigne's essays. So biographies, autobiographies, all of this teach on so many levels. I can't even, I can't even list them all in only a couple minutes. Sure, that great, great answer. And uh, Montaigne is actually someone I I really like. I have his uh, completed works here too. I haven't read the whole thing, but I've read through. A, he was, you know, super, super influenced by Stoicism, and it's uh, it's interesting when you read his work. It's a lot of it is very stoic. It talks about, uh, you know, a, kind of a creating an inner freedom from the things that you go through and, you know, m mental strength and kind of accepting things the way they are. I mean, he, he was definitely heavily influenced by the Stoics. He's uh he was a great, a great writer. <clears throat> All right. So I want to hop into uh, these last couple of questions here um, that I okay. ask all my guests. So, the the first one, and I'm I'm guessing, like most people who have achieved success in something, have gone through some sort of transformative moment where they had, you know, maybe a, a traumatic event happened that triggered a moment of reflection that caused them to kind of change. Or, and I'm guessing for you, it, it sounds like you know, it was probably somewhere between when you were homeless and things were kind of at their worst, and when you sort of made a, a, a decision or you made a realization that allowed you to get out of that. But do you have any like specific moment in your life that you look back on where you say this was a very transformative moment and you know, what, what happened in that, in that event? You know, this is something everybody needs to be aware of. A lot of people watch the secret. They read about the law of attraction. They read personal development and then they think I got it. I know how life works. Everything's going to be smooth from here on out. <laughs> yeah. It's not the case. We all still have bumps in the road. We all still have challenges. It's called the life experience. So easily I can go and say, oh, I went through homelessness. And I went through poverty and I learned about beliefs and I learned about creating my own reality. And it was a long process because there was no internet back then. And a lot of the things we take for granted today didn't exist at that point. But let's make this even more real. Over the last few years, my father died, my mother died family member attempted suicide. He shot himself. Um, I went through a divorce that I thought would be over in minutes, but it lasted three horrendous years. Mm -hmm. uh, I get into a new relationship with somebody who gets neural Lyme disease, and she's pretty much on her deathbed while I'm going through divorce, while I'm going through grieving. And of course, the pandemic comes along, which brings us all to our knees. And in my case, stops my biggest income, all the travels, all the speaking engagements, everything. That's only within the last few years. So the first thing I want people to remember is that you don't get out of life without going through challenges, big or small. There's going to be a challenge of some sort as we go through life. So the bigger insight is how do you handle it? What do you do with it? I discovered 
I don't know if I discovered it, but I went deep into Stoicism during the last few years, partly because going through the divorce alone tested me, tested me. I mean, there were days I did mm -hmm. not want to get up the next day. This was horrendous. This is torturous. It was emotionally, financially exhausting. And I went to Marcus Aurelius. I went to Seneca. And I thought, these guys went through far worse times than me. Those people didn't know when they were going to die. And they went through a pandemic. And they went through wars. And they went through starvation. It's unimaginable what their challenges were. And there were a lot of one-liners that I pulled out of stoicism and kind of mm. rode to get through my life. I saddled them up, more or less. One of them, and as simple as it sounds, was Marcus Aurelius, who said, if you can tolerate it, then tolerate it and quit complaining. And I remember thinking to myself, can I get through this? Can I tolerate it? It's like, I don't want to, but can I? That's the question. Can I? Yeah, I can. All right. Thank you, Marcus Aurelius. I can get through this one day at a time. Then Seneca. Seneca became my spiritual father. He became my best friend. And I marvel, I talk about reading biographies and books, I marvel that he wrote 200 centuries ago. And here he is, we're living it and breathing it, and he's alive again in his books. And one quote was so relevant to me, I actually printed it on my cards. I don't know if I can read it, uh, but I pretty much have it memorized. It says, you have the power. You can make things seem hard or easy or even amusing. You have the power. You can make things seem hard or easy or even amusing. And I saw that and I stopped and I thought, okay, I'm going through this crap, whether it's a pandemic or grieving or divorce and whatever, and I can make it hard. It's already hard. It already feels hard. Hard's the default. We got that. Right. He said you can make it seem easy. Then I looked at the word seem. He selected that word. You can make it seem easy. He didn't say it was easy. He made it sound like you had a choice, like you had you could adjust your perception. If I can make it seem easy, can I make it seem easy? And I started to go in that direction going, okay, maybe this is all a mindset. Maybe if I just focus on what I need to do and one day at a time and trust the process and the great something, maybe I'll get through this. Then the third part of it was you can make it seem humorous. And I thought, oh, man, I can't get there. How can I make this seem humorous? And then I remember watching Jerry Seinfeld and his comedians and Cars Getting Coffee TV series on Netflix. And I remember him saying he only lives for the joke. It, it, he says, why even talk if you're not going to go for a joke? Everything is humor. And he's talking to another comedian, and they both agreed that when there's a disaster in the world, they got the jokes that night. They have the jokes for the disaster that night, but they don't say them yet because the world isn't ready to hear them. But that suggested that, you know, maybe in hard times, there's humor. And if enough time goes past, I will see the humor in it. So if the humor is available later, maybe it's available right now. All of this from Seneca's little quote, you have the power to make it seem hard or easy or even humorous. So, yes, I've gone through difficulties as well, challenges, dark nights of the soul, and gotten through them. Beautiful. I, I like the uh, – I, I do like the humor one, and I, I'm actually I've, – I've read all the Seneca stuff. I don't remember coming across that one, but um, yeah. it just didn't stand out to me at the time, I guess. But uh, it, it reminds me Nietzsche has an idea, uh, the golden laughter of the gods, he calls it, you know, that ah. – the, the ability to to just kind of look at, you know, the suffering or this experience of this thing you're going and 
in a in a weird way find the humor there and just yeah. kind of laugh because you're like it's just what what can I do about it it is it is what it is it's part of the experience um and obviously you know there's a lot of science that backs up the the power of you know laughter and just putting a smile right. on your face even if you don't feel it right. so well that's um, the other part of this is you actually don't have to see the humor to laugh you can actually look at it and just start laughing and by laughing yeah. at whatever it is, you actually change yourself. It may not be a dramatic, you know, transformation, but you've lightened the moment. And when you start laughing as you're looking at something that previously you thought was horrendous or difficult or challenging, you might open the little humor window to find the reason for the laughing. But you can laugh first. Sure. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask you about, too, was... Um, so obviously you're, you, you do a lot of things. You're, you're very active. You've been very, very active in life. Um, do you have any, uh, big daily habits, you know, a couple, couple habits that have been really influential or that you have stuck with, you know, over the years to, to help you, I don't know, just get through the day, yeah. get motivated, get things done. Yeah. Well, great question. And very simply, I read every day. That should be obvious to somebody reading and writing as much as I am and with the books in the background. So I read every day. I read a tremendous amount. And I am probably Amazon's best customer. I helped Jeff become a billionaire uh, with all the buying I've done since the beginning when we all made fun of Amazon and didn't think it was going anywhere. I was buying books. Anyway, I read. I read every day. I write every day. I think that's my calling. That's my gift. That's what I was brought here to do. And while I may speak and do all these other wonderful things, it really comes down to writing. I'm working on a book, writing blog posts, writing emails. I write every day. I make time for the silence, which I think is the missing technique for virtually everybody because we're so distracted and we're so plugged in that we don't make time to just get quiet. Going into the silence means... No phone, no computer, no people, no appointments, no distractions, and I'm available to the great something to give me an idea, to give me an inspiration, mm. or just to heal myself, just to make myself um, rest, recover, recuperate by being away from the high technology, which is so captivating and distracting these days. So um, the, uh, the reading, the writing, the silence, and I would say movement. As a writer, speaker, and musician, I do a whole lot of sitting. So it's important for me to get up, for me to move. I'm in Texas. I got a pool, so I'll be going into that as we get into this warmer weather that's coming sooner than expected. So those are some of the things that I'm doing on a regular basis. Okay. All, all, all great habits, uh, thing, things that I try to, try to stick to as well. Uh, <clears throat> all right. On, on to reading, and I'm – I know this is going to be this is going to be a tough one for you because I'm I'm sure there have been many many books. If if you had to pick two books out there in the world that you said like you, you know here here are my two books that I would recommend to somebody what what would they be? Yeah, that's a cruel question for just for somebody <laughs> like me. I know like, two books. Two books? Are you kidding me? It would be tough to give you twenty five. Yeah. Um, first of all. I want to acknowledge the, the classics of the success literature. So if somebody hasn't read Think and Grow Rich, go do it right now. If somebody hasn't read Psycho-Cybernetics, go do it right now. If somebody hasn't read How to Win Friends and Influence People, go do it right now. These are the classics of success literature. You have to read these. 
and Bob Proctor carried Think and Grow Rich with him since 1967 to his death. He read it every single day. This is how powerful these success classics are. As for a couple of books you probably aren't aware of because I want to give them acknowledgement to their power, there's a book called Unoffendable. Unoffendable by, I think it's Brant Hansen. And Unoffendable is very Christian. The guy is definitely pro-Jesus, and that's throughout his book. But the whole idea is learning not to take things personally, to actually walk through life without being offended. Even the concept, unoffendable, I love it so much. I leave, I've read the book twice. I leave the book out so I see the title, because mm -hmm. the title was like a little stimulus, it's a little trigger, that no matter what's going on in my life, if there's a little tendency in me to get a little offended by what just took place, I look over and I see unoffendable. And go, wait a minute, there's my reminder. Do I have to be offended? I don't have to be offended. That's a choice. And Marcus Aurelius said a version of that in his meditations. So I'd recommend Unoffendable. And the second book, I become a fan of Dr. Benjamin Hardy. And I interviewed him for my online TV show. And he wrote a book called Personality Isn't Permanent. Personality Isn't Permanent. And again, much like the Unoffendable title, Personality Isn't Permanent gives you the message that whatever you think you're destined to be because you think, well, this is how I was brought up. This is the way my parents shaped me in the school system and everything I've gone mm -hmm. through makes me this. I am whatever. That's not true. Personality isn't permanent means you can change it. You can adjust it. You can tweak it. You can metamorphose into something else. So that would be the second book. Personality isn't permanent. Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Got it. I, I'll, I'll add them to my list, the, the growing list of the day. And uh, again, I apologize for, for, for making you pick two. I know that that's, that's got to be a tough one for sure. Uh, there's so many great books. What about, um, and, and as I started asking this question to all my guests, I had one idea in mind of how it was going to turn out and it's turned out very, very different. But um, do you, do you have any heroes? Hmm. Absolutely, yes. And I've had heroes since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Those heroes have been important to my life intuitively. I didn't know psychologically that it was helping me create an ideal self by finding people that ended up being role models. I just knew I admired these people and I was excited by these people. Babe Ruth early on, I thought I was going to be a baseball player. Houdini early on, I thought I was going to be a great magician. Uh, Jack Dempsey, uh, the early heavyweight boxing champion. I thought I was going to be a boxing champion at one point. All of these people became my heroes and they still are in many ways. I just reread Jack Dempsey's autobiography like two weeks ago and it brought up all those memories and everything. And there were learning experiences I got from it. Uh, even today, when I was learning how to be a writer, Jack London was the, the hero for me. He wrote a novel called Martin Eden. And Martin Eden awakened in me this desire to be a, an author like my hero, Jack London. Uh, when I was in bodybuilding, this is decades ago, and I was doing the fitness stuff and fitness contests, Steve Reeves was my hero. Steve Reeves was the original Hercules. He was one of the natural bodybuilding um, people who inspired Stallone, uh, Schwarzenegger, uh, Lou Ferrigno. He inspired a lot of people, in, including me. He became my hero. 
uh, as I've gone through the marketing world, P.T. Barnum became my hero. I ended up being a scholar on Barnum, a collector of Barnum material, but he became a hero to me. And these heroes, they demonstrated excellence in certain areas. And because they were my heroes, they became kind of a role model model that pulled out of me more of the best of me. Now, when I was a kid, I couldn't have said all of this. All I knew was, hey, Babe Ruth is cool. You know, Jack Dempsey, he can beat anybody up. I didn't know about the other psychological elements. But I've had lots of heroes throughout my life. Those are some of the ones I remember. I love that. And I, I love that there's been so many, right? Because I think that uh, sometimes we can idolize people a bit too much where we just kind of think like, I want to be this person, but, but you actually looked at these people and you identified traits, you know, whether yes, consciously I, or not when you were a kid. And you said like, you know, here, here's my hero for boxing. Here's my hero for yes. business. Yes. Here's my, you know, and I think that's important, right? Is that we take the messages and the strengths from people and we, we kind of use that as a measure of maybe what's possible or, or a, a thing or kind of like an aiming point that can motivate us and give us lessons to pull from. So like yeah, you said with the I biographies said, earlier. Yeah, I love that you said traits because it's not about modeling the complete person because in many ways, the complete person was not actually whole or healthy. When right. I mentioned Jack London, he inspired me tremendously as an author, but he was self-destructive, he was alcoholic, and he was dead at the age of 40 by his own hand. I don't want those elements. Right. But the elements of him as an author and that popularity, yeah, I want that trait. Definitely. And um, all right. So the, the big question, the, the last one for the day, um, obviously, you, you've, you know, you've lived a, a very full life. You've done a lot. Um, if, if you could go back in time, hop into a time machine, your, your mental time machine, I know that's something I've been seeing you talk, <laughs> posting a lot about. Right, um, right. And, and, and go back in time to, you know, into like a teenage version of yourself, you know, 14, 15 year old you. Um, what what piece of advice would you give to yourself? I've been asked variations of that question over the years. And I've often said things like, just relax, it's going to work out. I'm looking at it again now to see if there's a different message. And really, I think the message that I would give that younger Joe is the message I would give anybody that the real secret to success has nothing to do with talent or connections or money or blessings from any person living or dead. I think it really has to do with persistence. And I would say, you know what? Just keep going forward. Mm -hmm. At that point, I wanted to be an author. So I would say, just keep writing, write anything and everything, keep studying the market, keep studying the, uh, methodology of learning how to write and communicate, I would just say, just keep persisting and you will win. I love that. And it's, that, that seems to be the most popular answer in different variations so far as, wow. you know, keep, keep going. It'll be okay. You know, uh, and I think that that is that, that the reason that message is so important is because we can make a decision when each thing happens in life where, we allow the weight of life to just kind of crush our spirit and we kind of give up mentally. We say, I've, I've had enough, you know, I can't change anything. 
and that that's kind of where your your story ends unless you break out of that mindset later on J- just that having that faith that i'm on the right path even if it's tough right now eventually things will get better and it's it's all part of my journey yeah what's the alternative the alternative is giving up it's becoming yeah. the walking dead if not the actual dead so we have to keep per- persisting definitely keep moving forward love that and uh all right that that pretty much wraps it up i wanted to give you a chance um i know obviously you mentioned your book um for anyone that's looking to you know learn more about you or you know get in touch with you uh you know how how does somebody look you up or get a hold of you well i'm not hiding so they can easily find <laughs> me on the internet uh, yeah. main website is probably mr fire m r f i r e dot com mr fire dot com my books are on Amazon. The latest one is called Unexpected Kindness. I'm very active on social media, posting new videos virtually every day on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm Dr. Joe Vitale, D-R-J-O-E-V-I-T-A-L-E on those places. You mentioned time travel. I'm very excited about the program I came out with about mental time travel. It's at mentaltimetravelsystem.com. And I can go on, but there you go. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Joe, thank you again so much for coming on. I, I really, really enjoyed speaking with you today. Um, I got a got quite a reading list that I can put together after our talk too. So, um, you know, look, look forward to speaking to you again soon. And thanks again for coming on. I enjoyed it too. Thanks for what you're doing. You're making a difference. So keep going. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Renaissance Wisdom Podcast, and hopefully you learned at least one lesson on today's episode. Our mission here is to uncover practical wisdom to create a better way of living for our audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us by leaving the show a review on your podcast platform of choice and by giving it a share on social media. This really helps us to grow our audience and to continue to add more episodes. If you are interested in learning more, please check out our website at renaissance-wisdom.com Or check out the book that started it all, Renaissance Wisdom, How to Flourish in the Modern Day, now on Amazon. Thank you again, and may wisdom be your guide.